Hi, this is Gary. I'm a guidance counselor from Winnipeg. I support Canada Land because I love commons. I love Thunder Bay. I love the original journalism. If only it weren't for that annoying, smug, arrogant, obnoxious. You know what? I get it. I uh, I hear these messages too. It seems like it's become almost like a, a ritual, even for the people who support us. I don't even, I don't take offense to any of this. It always feels like very, very good natured. It's getting old. I know that. Old. I, I hope I'm not getting old, but who doesn't get old? Like I have tried to engage in this, in this role, sometimes interviewer, sometimes opinion guy in as expansive a, a way as I think it can be done. I was attracted to podcasting in the first place because it destroyed the very traditional broadcasting voice of the host who, who has no personality and, and who has no vulnerabilities and who doesn't crack a joke. I liked that you could you could actually use it like, you know, come from a place where I like storytellers and I like monologists and I like comedians. And I felt like, you know, maybe this is a medium for me. Like if I'm willing to play the fool in an interview and ask a dumb question or if I'm willing to take sort of a point of view that I think some listeners might take, it can be a really effective device. You know, if I'm not afraid of looking stupid or, or saying something stupid, sometimes that can help me draw something out of somebody. Like sometimes my ignorance can be useful. It's it's like a service that I provide because it, it, it forces other people to explain what they're saying. And then I, I you know, yeah, I, sometimes I do think I have a funny line. Holy shit, who cares, man? Who fucking cares? I'm as bored of it as a lot of other people are. I think I've exhausted, you know, uh, whatever I have to express about myself. And it's just self-indulgent and navel-gazing-y in a way that can become a trap for me, you know? I, I, and I see this, too, with people that I cover, with hosts that you cover. They become prisoners of their own personas. And they can't evolve or grow the way that, like, people in other creative fields can reinvent themselves or grow. You know, they're doing it every day, like, like answering to an audience who expect me to be this Jesse Brown character that people have a parasocial relationship with. What am I trying to say here? Listen, follow this for a second. I think a lot about this impulsive split-second decision I made a decade ago when I had to fill out the form on the crowdfunding platform that I started this whole thing with Patreon, you know, there's, there's like a box when you're starting up your project and you're asking for money for the first time, it says, if you reach your first goal and your second goal, what's your reach goal? What's your moonshot goal? It, it asks you, you got to fill out this box. It's what is your biggest dream for this project? And I need to tell you, I put a total of like 30 seconds thought into what I was going to put in that box. It seemed impossible to me that it would matter what was in that box because I was so worried that I wouldn't reach the first goal of just getting enough money to, to do the podcast as my part-time job. And then second goal is full-time job. And then like down the line, what's your moonshot goal? And at the time, if I had been super honest and really thought about what my, what my greatest dream would be, I would have put something in there like to be a super famous podcaster, which would not have been a good goal to list for the public and ask people to give money for. No, I, I, I put about 30 seconds of thought into it and I filled out in that box to turn Canada land into a news organization. And the best and worst thing that has happened to me, the cosmic joke that I'm living in that I'm weirdly grateful for is that we quickly hit that goal 
And I have spent every year since trying to be equal to the job that I accidentally asked for. Does that make any sense? I never had any ambition or goal to be somebody's boss, to deal with HR issues, to try to set a culture of a newsroom, to to actually have to follow through and go beyond criticizing the news and then answer the question that listeners had, which is, well, if it's so lousy, why don't you do better? If the coverage of indigenous issues is so bad, maybe you could do better. After all, we funded you to be a newsroom. And so I've just been stumbling through this and making so many mistakes, often in public, and trying to figure out things that I have no experience, skills, or background in. And at times, it's been really hard. But ultimately, it's been a gift. It's been something that I think released me from the fate that so many personalities ultimately suffer of being trapped in a persona that they invented and not able to get out of it. It's it's forced me to grow up in a lot of ways, and it's forced me, I, I think, to contribute things that I, I really never thought that I'd be capable of being involved in because most of them are not my contributions. They're the contributions of everybody else here. All of this is just to get to the conclusion of this, which is to say, I think that we have a tendency and we're encouraged and especially like, yeah, okay, white guys are encouraged by every movie that we see in television show and book that we are the heroes of our own story and that this is all some grand narrative where I reach some sort of like personal self-realization and, and it's not that. It's not actually that because if this is actually a news organization, if this is actually an institution, if it is actually a lot more than me or anything that I'm capable of, then the conclusion is not me magically evolving and upgrading myself into being the person who can take us to the next stage. It's recognizing what I can't do, where my skills and my abilities end, and what somebody else would be much, much better at. And what would release me and free me to do the things that I am much better at. I miss being able to really lose myself in in long-form reporting, really immerse myself in a story. And I, I think a lot about having the time. There I go again. I'm trying to get this to the next phase. And to get this to the next phase, I have to step back. I have to put this newsroom in somebody else's hands. Hi, Karen. Hey, Jesse. I was wondering if you're ever going to stop talking. <laughs> I've been wondering that for 10 years. Karen, I have a magic whistle that I've been cursed to play a little tune every day. The only way to stop playing the magic whistle is if somebody willingly takes it from me. Can I hand you my magic whistle? Um, yes. I'm free. See you later. It's been over like a year since I started talking about the need to replace myself. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. You actually did that thing where you asked me if I knew anybody who would be interested in the job. I was too shy to come right out with it. (laughs) Look, you're intimidating. Um, So it, it was like kind of beyond my capacity for much of the time that I've been doing this to imagine that somebody like you would would want to work here. One of the things that I really enjoy about Candleland and always have is the it's a it's a podcast with a with an attitude, right? My favorite journalists are the ones that would always walk into my office and argue with me. My favorite journalists are not the kids in the front of the class that hold up their hands and know all the answers because they've studied. I like the kids that are smoking in the bathroom. 
I like the attitude of Canada Land. At the same time that Canada Land's entertaining, it's not just entertaining, it's also got, it's done some powerhouse investigations. Karen, before you were here, you were doing a lot of things. You were teaching journalism, you were CBC management, you were the president of the Canadian Association of Journalists. You had this array of like prestigious and, and highly respected roles, the kind of roles that journalists can get at a certain stage in their career as like, I don't know, it's like the industry like at a certain point rewards you for all your years in the trenches. You know, if you've done all the gritty work of beat reporting and, and investigations and daily news coverage, I mean, you built APTN's newsroom into a force to be reckoned with. If you get to a stage where you've done all that work and you still have the high esteem of, of your colleagues throughout the industry and a high profile, I think that those kinds of opportunities can be kind of like a reward. And, and, and it, it seemed to me watching your progression that you had reached a stage where you could have just put your feet up after that. Instead, you came here. And, and when you and I were talking about the possibility of you coming here and I asked you, like, why, why would you want to? Why would you come here? Why would you do that? You told me that you missed this kind of thing, that what you really wanted was to be back in a newsroom again, if it's the kind of newsroom where you could roll up your sleeves and, and really get your hands on the content and, and really lead reporters on stories. What is it about returning to a newsroom? What is it about starting your day in a newsroom on a good day that, that you just couldn't give up? My best days in a newsroom are those days where I walk in and people are working on a story and they don't know if they can get it out and there's a question about legal or there's a question about whether or not they're going to be able to get a source. And I have four or five people running up to me and they all need something. And I can just say, okay, I'm going to help you with that right now and I am going to say go on the legal and I am going to get into this meeting and help you with the research. And we are going to find that fact. And, like, that's a great day in the newsroom. But I'm sure you could have had days like that in, in, in other, like, more established newsrooms. Why this one? The best places, the places where I've been happy have been, like, the small and scrappy newsrooms. I, I like the idea of being able to come into a newsroom in the morning and in the afternoon make a decision that we're going to drop everything we're doing. We're going to switch directions and we can be nimble and we can throw all our resources into some new project that we've just decided to take on. When you're, you're in a bigger newsroom, you can't pivot like that. Kieran, I've been learning a lot from you about different leadership styles, uh, different leadership skills. Like I kept asking you early on, when you were considering this and when we were considering you, like, what's your vision for Canada land? You know, where are you going to take this place? And you were really reluctant to answer the question in those terms, the terms that I laid out. And I got to tell you, it's taken me a while to understand that, you know, to understand your style and your approach, which is like not to come in and say, I'm the new editor in chief. Here's my agenda. Here's my dream. Here's my vision. That's not really how you did this. Like you, you, you're the kind of leader who takes the time to get to know the team, to see what they've already been doing before you arrived, to figure out who they are, what they're capable of, where the stress points are, what they want, what they need, what their potential is. And, and you slowly make yourself an asset. And then I've watched you like gradually and gently 
level everything up and push people to do better and better work. I did not get that at first. I think I'm starting to get it. Having said all that, what's your dream? What's your vision? Where do you want to take this place? <laughs> um, you know, I want to see our reporters be able to get boots on the ground and go out into communities. And I want to be able to run other investigations. Like, there's so much that I want to do. And a lot of that really depends on what happens during the crowdfunding. I have two or three investigations lined up that I don't know if I'm going to be able to take on, but I think would be really meaningful. One is involving policing. I would really love to have commons be able to get boots on the ground and go out more into communities and to be able to overall do more enterprise journalism. We talked about maybe even having a breaking news segment that's occasional that comes on when we're following a story and we're able to give updates. Uh, right now, we just don't have the resources to do that. That could be like just one more reporter that we have on the Monday show. You've taken advantage, Karen, because it's only been a few months and you'd be like, can I send someone to Afghanistan? Can I go? Can, like, I'm like, oh, I want to say yes. So it's all happening. Yeah, well, you've got some like very serious, hard-hitting journalists Journalism actually does make a difference that, like, I've seen it. I have came into the industry not really knowing what I was going to do. Ended up being given this great opportunity of actually doing Indigenous journalism and finding space for it in an industry where there was no space for our voices. And slowly, over time, over, like, maybe a 10 or 15-year period, the work that I was doing with the people I was doing changed the conversation in Canada. There are things that were said about our people, lies and outrageous racism that just can't be – those words just can't be spoken anymore. Yeah. It does affect human rights. And if you can do that with one thing, you can do that with anything, so long as there's an industry. I mean, that's the problem is that we're seeing legacy media shut down. Places that I've worked are laying people off right now. Aside from that, right now, Facebook and Instagram are blocking news and people are losing access to it. I'm finding it harder and harder to keep track of what's going on. And so we're in this really weird place in the industry where things that were possible to make space for news voices, to change the conversation, to move history forward, are feeling less and less possible because we're losing the institutions and they're being replaced by these weird, polarizing disinformation sites that are taking over the conversation and changing the nature of the country. And there are democracies out there that are falling. Journalism is absolutely important to democracy. And so <laughs> while on one hand Canada lends a lot of fun, it's also moving into a space where it's very necessary to keep it alive. Look, I think that's enough out of me. I want people to know that there is no better bang for your buck if you want to fund journalism. I don't know where your dollar is better spent than here. It is going right into original coverage and desperately needed analysis. Everything we do here begins with the question, does this need to be done? Is someone else doing it? And we only pursue the things that just wouldn't exist if not for us. Please be a part of this. I think that it'll make you feel big and strong. I really do. I, 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 I think that being a Canada Land supporter means being really a member of a very small group that has an incredible outsized influence. 
on this country again and again and again. We'll make you proud. Go to canadaland.com slash join right now and become a supporter or click on the link in your show notes.